Welcome to Coffee with the Sarlows. I'm Kelly. And I'm Karen. We are a mother-daughter duo of mediums, medical intuitives, psychics, and energy healers offering personal sessions to clients all over the world. And this is our podcast. Coffee with the Sarlows is a platform to share the remarkable experiences of our clients and the messages that are channeled for them from the spirit world. These stories will make you laugh, some will make you cry, and some are certain to be an absolute butt-kicking with love. Our intent for this podcast is to gently and kindly challenge your beliefs, grow your empathy, and help you find pieces of your own self in each one of these individual stories. Before we jump into today's show, we have a few notes for our listeners. Karen and I have personal practices channeling for local and international clients. If the stories in these shows is something you'd like to experience, you can request your own personal session through our website, bysarlo.com. We also have gift certificates available if you wish to gift this experience to someone anywhere in the world. We have a second podcast series called Sips of Sanity. This series is your emotional and intuitive intelligence toolkit. We pick one topic every month and provide you with healthy tools for critical thinking and communication. This series airs the first week of every month. The first show is free and can be found on our website, your favorite podcast platform, or YouTube. The full series can be found on patreon.com forward slash by Sarlo. Patreon is our membership portal with a ton of monthly benefits for those of you seeking to grow your emotional and intuitive intelligence. Karen has a personal blog that explores the beauty and importance of intuitive gifts. There's a question and answer segment that addresses listeners' questions. As we mentioned, you can find the complete Sips of Sanity series here, along with handy habit trackers and great reflective questions to help you get the most from the shows. We provide you with guided journeys and music to enrich that experience, and we're running an emotionally intelligent, interactive book club. And for patrons in our top tier, each month we're putting your names into a draw for a free half-hour channeling session with Karen or myself. If you're interested in joining us, head over to patreon.com forward slash by Sarlo. Now, on to the show. Good morning, Kelly Sarlo. How are you? Good morning. I, I'm well. I took a headbutt to the face today uh, by my youngest, so I'm hoping this video gets done before I turn colors. Oh, no. <laughs> it's okay. It was my fault. You mean Winston headbutted you? Oh, yeah. We were playing. We were roughhousing, and uh, he just like headbutted my right cheekbone. Oh. So I'm, I can feel the swell, but I, I'm hoping it's not going to show for a little bit. He does move quickly. Yes. And unpredictably. Yes, he is. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you have a story for us for today. I do. And I'm going to say, like, you know, we're well over 300 shows deep. And I have such an admiration and respect for the way that you can remember uh, sessions, also take notes, and just effortlessly um, deliver. Like, your storytelling is excellent. So to sit in this seat today is uh, it's a challenge. It's outside my comfort zone. I'm going to hope that I do as good a job as you do when you're the one asking the questions and making sense of everything for everybody. Oh, thank you. Because I wonder how you do what you do. And I want to say something. I don't remember the sessions very well. I know that. I just, yeah. you know, like I, I went back and I, this person gave me permission to listen uh, to their recording, like yeah. verbatim. So I made notes, but I have like, I have five pages worth of notes and mm. I see yours are like summarized in half a page and you can pull out this like 40 or 20 to 40 minute story seemingly effortlessly. Um, so we'll see how this goes. People might need to like hunker down or take it in like little, <laughs> you know, little chunks. Okay. So um, do you need a male or a female name today? I need a female name today. Okay. How about Kala? Kala. Yeah, I can do that. Fire away. Tell the, tell me your story. <laughs> Their story. Kala's story. Um, this is really exciting. I obviously, you know, I don't do a lot of the storytelling on the show as we were talking about. Um, so to sit in a session and be like, can I share this really has to be big for me, right? Mm -hmm. Something that Karen hasn't delivered on the show before in, in, in such a way that this came out. So this is a Zoom session. She booked one hour and I really, 
What I want to say about Kala is she's an excellent client. She's a returning client. She books every single month at the beginning of the year. And she comes for what she'll reference like as her tune-up, her check-in with her soul, with her guides, just to make sure that, you know, things are where they need to be and that she can anticipate healthily if things are not where they need to be. And I just have a lot of admiration and respect for that kind of structure. Mm-hmm. And and commitment, of course. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, she's putting a lot of stock, like she's putting so much credibility and love um, in that relationship with the spirit world yeah. to say, I value what you're trying to tell me uh, about my everyday life. And I would imagine if she's doing it every single month that she's walking away and she's pondering it every month because this is something that she's committed to doing. Yeah, and and she makes notes too. Like not only does she record, but she writes during our sessions. And um, it's come to pass in the last, I would say, three years that she's also trying to open her own gifts and and doing very well. I shouldn't even say trying. She's on a journey of opening up her own gifts, which is really fun to watch and and have her feedback and and be able to provide those affirmations for her as well. That, That makes me really excited to think that there's a human being walking around this planet Named Kala. Yeah, working that goddamn hard. Yeah. Yeah. And that she's that committed to the spirit world, um, to have them included in her life instead of waiting till the day she dies and they say, what's up? And she goes, well, I don't know. (laughs) You tell me. (laughs) You tell me. How did I live my life? How did I do? Kind of a thing. She's finding out on on a regular basis. Okay. So continue. Okay. So the reason I bring up the fact that she's a returning client is because there's a a beautiful level of comfort and established rapport at this point. The other thing is she comes in every single month with what what I never know to be her direction, but she's always very intentional, right? I sit down and say, what do you want to do? How do you want to direct the session? And she will say to me, you know what? I'm wide open today. Do whatever you'd like. Or she'll come in on other months and say, like, I have particular questions, or I want to focus on one specific modality in the consent process, right? And so that is what happened during this session, the most recent one that we've done together. She said, you know what? I want to do past lives. You've got the whole hour. Just go ahead and draw parallels to my past lives so that I can learn how it affects me now, or how it affects me in this continuum of time, which is going to come up. Okay, so I'm going to jump into the session and the channeling. Is that okay? Yes. So as you know, we take a couple seconds to get our shit together to figure out what that first message is going to be. Because when someone says, go into my past lives, this is a very general direction. We know what they want, but we don't know where the guides are going to take us. Mm-hmm. So in that first you know, couple seconds, I find myself in a previous life of Kala on a table, an operating table, and I am very aware of the fact that I'm dying. Mm -hmm. And it was really neat how the gifts came in. So I want to describe this. I can see from inside my own eyes in this lifetime. So I am not sedated. I'm not unconscious. I'm lying on the table, consciously aware hearing the actual beeping of the machines, hearing and seeing the panic of the professionals working tirelessly around me, and I'm very aware of the fact that I'm dying. Mm. And so after this sort of like sensory experience happens for, I'll say Kelly, where I'm having to figure out what's going on, I can start to actually sink into this lifetime in this person's body. So as I'm trying to feel my way around, and I don't mean with hands, I mean really observe Mm -hmm. what I am and who I am, I discover that I'm male in this lifetime. I'm an older gentleman, probably like late 60s, I would say, and I can can sort of see in my periphery, just like below, you know, my nose as I'm lying on the table that I have a very distended, very open belly. And I realized this is what they're panicked over, the professionals that are working around me. And all of a sudden, this like, what I can only describe as like a pushing and pulling sensation comes in as I'm channeling. And there is this push and pull dynamic of, oh, there's no solution here. I'm going to die. And then this other, this, this other sensation of acceptance. Mm-hmm. And I just feel relief. And I don't know how to quite explain that dynamic 
because there's chaos in the room and I am the reason for the chaos. Mm -hmm. But I feel okay with the fact that I know there's no solution. And I know that these professionals are more or less working for themselves to learn and to better their profession, not because it's their fault, just because this is how you learn in chaos, right, about what to do better next time or what to be aware of. Um, but I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm going to die. Wow. Yeah. So now that I've sort of assessed all of these sensory experiences, I then become aware of my thoughts. And I have this very distinct single thought that I didn't seek attention soon enough. Oh. So even though I can experience this feeling of acceptance that I'm dying, I do have a conscious thought that I could have addressed this earlier. I could have brought this to medical attention sooner, but I think to myself, oh, I chose to work through it, push through it, however you want to word that. And this is where more of the channeling comes in, where I, I am understanding on this table and I can see, so it's, it's a visual experience. I work in the fields. I work with my hands. I tinker. I'm learning about this past life and what I do. And it's so busy in service to others and in my community. I just don't really have the time to go address the bellyache that just started as a bellyache. So I think one day after the other, eh, I'll give it a day. Eh, I'll just push through it. Eh, it's normal pain. And here I am on the table now with it wide open with no solution of living. Mm -hmm. So I pull back at this point, and all of this happens probably within about three to five seconds, right? Yeah. So I pull back and I said to Kala, okay, so here's all this information. I'm just going to ask the guys, why? Why are we showing this to you today, right? What is the relevance that it has in yep. your life? And so they go, okay, well... He's dying, but why don't we show you how he lived? So I get to then go back further in time, right? And this is where I love the continuum of time. Mm -hmm. She's in front of me now in this lifetime, showing me where she was dying in a previous life and then says, well, hold up, let's show you the time <laughs> yeah. before, yeah. right? Or leading up to that. So in this lifetime, it is so Full of connection. It's so full of community. It's so full of um, rich dynamics in what, what I can offer you, what the community can offer me, and not in a tit-for-tat mm. bartering kind of way, mm -hmm. but really and truly who is in need and who can provide, mm. which I feel foreign to in this life, in this Western world, at this time in this earthly experience. Yeah. I can understand why, because most people feel like this is my property, my house, um, my responsibility to take care of it. I might know my neighbors. I might not know my my neighbors. I might not ask for help. I might not feel like I can ask for help. And this just yeah. this just isn't that. Mm -hmm. So not only is it about how I use my skills and use my hands, it's full of quality time. Mm -hmm. I work hard, but I have quality time with the mm. people that I love. Mm. And I share my skills in terms of who can benefit from them, but I also teach, right? Not as a teacher in a standard kind of way, but if I have a skill and you don't know how to do it and you're curious... I'll explain how it works. I'll explain how you can get into this mm. as well. So there's a beautiful feeling of sharing. Good. That's beautiful. And so I have this thought back on the table, I'll say, where while there's a physical and physiological experience of panic, the body is going into a shutdown and I can hear it reflected back on the monitors, I have no panic about the way that I lived, right? And I'm very relieved at the fact that I didn't seek attention early, knowing now that there wasn't going to be a solution anyway. Mm. And so I think to myself, hmm, I got to be out in the field every day or at a neighbor's home tinkering and fixing things with no threat of, will this be my last day? Right. And that itself contributed to a full life. Now, I'll say as a healthy disclaimer, as just a regular Sarlo here, like that's not a reason to not go seek medical attention. <laughs> I'm simply repeating yeah. something that happened in a channeling session. And keep in mind, this is from many lifetimes ago where the medical system is not what it is today. Right. So please don't take this as a skip the medical process. 
Okay, so then the first parallel gets drawn. And this is where things get really exciting, right? It's fun. It's one thing to go into a past life, but it's another mm -hmm. to be able to actually draw a parallel and get an affirmation that that's in fact the way that they're living now or what their belief system is now. So what comes to pass is that Kala in this lifetime has taken on so much of this intention from this past life as mm. the gentleman, mm -hmm. right? So she's handy. She's friendly. She values community. Mm -hmm. She is someone who so effortlessly can be in the moment with someone, right? So she values that quality time and presence to the nth degree. And I just think, you know, it's one of those teach, pardon me, non-teachable skills about how to just be in the moment with someone. And I don't mean that rudely. Some people are just so anxious that it's hard for them to get to that place. And she just has this wonderful ability to put aside whatever was happening, whatever is going to happen, and be here with you. Mm -hmm. So she creates this sense of community with yeah. everyone she interacts with. Well, she's also creating a sense of safety for every person. So much. And that's going to weave throughout the different lifetimes. Oh, yay! Yeah. I pulled a Kelly! <laughs> yes, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Yeah. So in this lifetime, as I mentioned, she's very handy. And some of it has to do with her job. And some of it's just things she's good at, right? She has interests. Yeah. She sees them through. She develops skills. And then she gets so excited about the skill that she developed that she wants to show others how to empower themselves. And I just think that's really beautiful. So I see this parallel between Kala and this older gentleman, this different version of herself, where it really feels in alignment with this past life that felt full. So you can see how she feels filled up at a youngish age in this lifetime already. Yeah. Oh, I love it. That, that's It's so beautiful so far. I can't wait to hear the, more of this. Yeah. So I want to mention too that in this past life, as this gentleman, one of the key components is his wife. And as he is going out in the community with his job or with his personal interests, creating this feeling of connection and safety with others, he first and foremost has it at home with his wife. Mm. They do check-ins consistently. They self-assess and then they check in together so that they're on the same page. And that allows him to have this beautiful freedom and flexibility to go where he is needed, but also to go where he pleases, kind of same, same in this lifetime for him because of the dynamic that him and his wife continuously work at. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's amazing. So it's wonderful to hear that emotional intelligence isn't just something for the 20th century. Yeah. That emotional intelligence all, goes... All of the centuries. Right. <laughs> and that we can have it and that it's not just current. <laughs> because, I mean, we also know that in this current reality that we're in right now, so many people are lacking it altogether. And yet we're hearing that this person has had it consistently from life to life. Yes. And I want to point out in that lifetime how much that community appreciates her. Mm. He goes to and from the homes, to and from the businesses, to and from the farms and the land, and does what needs doing. And they thank him, and they send him home with meals, or they send him home with whatever they have to mm -hmm. give or offer. But they pick up the phone, or they pass her on the street, and they say, thank you for sending your husband over. Right. Thank you for freeing up his time so that he could do this thing for me. So they are equally grateful for his time and skill, but they understand the effect that that has on her right. and the children, which we'll get into at some point. And that means that she's alone at home. That means that she's got to hold down the fort in whatever way that means for them because he's out doing other things for others. But you're saying that when their intention is to check in first, they're still, they're, in, they're interdependent. Yep. They're not codependent. Mm -hmm. they're, and, you're, and what we're hearing here is that he is not a neglectful narcissist who goes out in the community to feel good about himself and then neglects his his wife and his children and his responsibilities meaning meaning his relationships not just meaning his responsibilities in mowing a lawn or milking the cow mm -hmm. we're talking about his responsibility to connect to his partner and to partner and to parent 
Yeah. And so she also feels beautiful interdependence and freedom to say, yep, go honey, I got this. So she she can assess because they've checked in and they've they've worked out the dynamics or the, the communication that they needed to, to say, enjoy your afternoon, tell them I said hi. And in a really respectful way, she comes to know that if he's there for two plus hours, they're going to send a meal. And so if that means that she's busy taking care of the children all day, she doesn't have to worry about cooking. A meal is coming because that's how that family values their time. So there's, again, this different kind of freedom where she thinks, okay, well, he's gone for two plus hours this afternoon, but if a meal is coming and that means I'm not in the kitchen, that means I will actually have quality time with my husband when he gets home this evening. And so the family enjoys themselves that way. And I don't know if this is how you say like it all comes out in the wash, but Mm. that feels like it almost undervalues. I want to say that it all balances out. Like mm-hmm. there's there's no stress about what is being given up because they know that it's going to be valued. Well, you, and I'm going to repeat for our listeners that that is the definition of interdependence within the marriage, but also within the community. Mm-hmm. Well, and he's teaching interdependence to everybody in the community, and they're responding. He's teaching interdependence to his children. They're watching it between their two parents, and we'll get to the children in a minute. And they're watching it between their parents and their community. Yes. Because sometimes people can go out and be very generous to their community and there's nothing given back. Right. As you illustrated before. Yeah. Yeah. So I said to Kala, oh, one of the parallels is that in this lifetime, when you put your skills to use and you are being of service to other people, you know, if it's not involving the job where there's an actual transaction of fees, um, you get really excited when the people that you're bartering with or doing something for offer you food. And she went, yeah, a happy dance. And I said, yeah, it comes from that lifetime. It's not just that you're a foodie in this lifetime, which she is, by the way. It's that there's this energetic exchange that is familiar and energizing from this previous life. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're telling a story of energy mm-hmm. because, and I hope people can hear that and go, oh yeah, and let that absorb, let that sink in as Kelly's talking to you, because everything that you're talking about, Kelly, about Kella and her whole life is that she values connection and connection is energy. And then she takes it into action and action is energy. Yes. Okay. So... In this lifetime, we're drawing parallels still. She finds a partner who very much values building a community. Mm. So there's a similarity from the partners in both lives where they are happy to say, yes, let's build this community. Yes, let's be of service to Mm -hmm. others. Yes, let's barter and exchange and make sure that everyone is taken care of. And it also, in this lifetime, makes it really easy for the two of them to receive. And some people will sit here and go, huh, that's nice. Maybe because you do already and you don't think it's a big deal. But it is a big deal. Many people can't receive without a tit-for-tat mentality Mm -hmm. or just getting so anxious about the fact that they are receiving, period. They don't know how to just say thank you and accept. They have to push it back. Mm-hmm. Right. And so she presents, pardon me, he from that previous lifetime says, there's a parallel. Kala receives with grace and with ease. And there isn't a panic of, well, what am I going to do for you next in case you do something again for me? Right. Mm-hmm. There's just this beautiful, as you said, energetic exchange yes. and appreciation. Yeah. You're talking about when we say about the energy. It's important that we bring up that concept for people because the tit-for-tat person is looking at a scorecard. They're looking at equal value. If you gave me one supper, I owe you one supper or whatever I think is the equal value of your supper. Yes. So can I, I want to keep going here because in this lifetime, I want to be very clear where I am on the continuum. Kala's partner was very uncomfortable with this in the beginning. Because she didn't, she didn't understand the exchange because she didn't see a skill of her own being offered. Oh. She saw Kala's skills being used. Right. She saw Kala being involved in the, in the exchange. And she didn't know what she was contributing to, where in that previous lifetime, the wife really understood 
I'm holding down the fort. The community gets it. That is a skill unto itself, right? Watching the kids, cleaning the house, cooking the dinner, doing whatever needs Freeing up his time. Exactly. Yes. So this is where she struggled in the beginning. But then she got a taste, and and that actually was not, not a pun that I was intending to use, but she got a taste of what it felt like to have the community to build the community. And she might go with Kala every now and then when a skill was being, mm, you know, given yeah, to another yeah. person, right? And so she would see the energetic exchange, the verbal exchange and think, well, this is a little bit of a high. I like this, right? And a high in the sense of people are cared for, people are happy. There's reliability and dependability here and I love that. And so as she got this taste for what community is, she actually started to realize oh, Kala's not going out offering her services and her skills and expertise to avoid me or the home or our kids. She's going out because it's just good intent. It's just this is how we build and maintain a community. Mm -hmm. And so there was this acceptance from her partner in this life to say, I get it. I can support it. That's why I said to you earlier, there's the difference between this story and the story of a neglectful narcissist. Yeah. Are you hammering this home for like anyone in particular or? Just listeners to understand who are sitting there that might be in the very same situation trying to figure out the difference between what is the difference between the person going out and doing the very same thing. But you're really describing this beautiful story with all of this intention and communication. And I'm trying to say, and there's a very big difference if you're not in that, and you're trying to figure out, well, then what the hell am I in? The communication is key. That's that's what I'm trying to point out for people. Well, I'm going to point it out even more in just a little bit. Okay. So then the best part of the session, the title of the show, as people can see, um, happens for the first time. And I've just drawn this beautiful parallel. And then all I hear is, okay, so back to dying on the table. And so I see we're time jumping, right? We're going Mm -hmm. from when he was alive to his thoughts as he's dying, to Kala in this lifetime, to back to dying on the table, to how he lived. So it's just Mm -hmm. this constant jumping of three different periods of time. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm in his home. He's back to dying on the table, but he's remote viewing mm-hmm. his family getting word that things are not going to be good in the hospital room. Mm-hmm. And I can see the panic in the children that they're losing their father, of course. And I can see them reflecting on the life that they have, that he has given them, mm-hmm. on what he has taught them about skills and trades and respect and connection and communication. And I'm sad. I'm overwhelmed with sadness that I'm losing my father. But I don't feel like I'm missing out on a lifetime with him because nothing is incomplete. Mm-hmm. I had a dad who was fully present, yeah. even when he couldn't be physically present. Right. I had a dad who answered every question that I had, who showed me how to do things when I said how or why or what. And so there's this feeling of, oh, dad taught me how to connect. If I feel like I'm missing this connection, I could leverage all the skills he taught me in order to connect with others. And when I go out and I act like dad, and these are are grown children, when I act like dad, I'm going to feel dad. Because that community is going to see him in me, and there's a different kind of connection with my dead father. I don't know what's happening. Okay. I'm just um, overwhelmed. Okay. But in a really good way. Mm-hmm. About the love. Mm-hmm. So please continue while I sit here. With tears in my eyes. Okay, thank you. So now he draws a parallel. He goes, okay, Kelly, we're going to jump. This is how Kala is living. She answers all the questions as she's asked. She teaches in the moment. She stays present in the moment. This is the same life, the same intention, the same implementation of those beautifully developed skills, both interpersonal and physical. And so 
this is now continuing with her children. Mm-hmm. And she actually takes the kids with her. So when she goes to do something for other families, friends, et cetera, even clients, where they've arranged a really respectful boundary that this isn't my profession, but you said you needed something and I'm going to show up and do it and put a different hat on. There's beautiful boundaries put into place and she takes her kids with her and she teaches them on site, if you want to call it that, um, and just really involves them so that they can see firsthand what this looks like, what this feels like, Mm -hmm. and they get a taste of it really early on. Mm -hmm. And so this past version of herself says, this is going to continue. You're going to continue to take your kids with you. They're going to continue to learn these skills. And what will eventually happen when your kids are old enough is they're going to say to you, mom, I've got this. I'm going to go on my own. I'm going to go help Mrs. So-and-so or Mr. So-and-so. And the message to Kala was, let them go. Yeah. Don't say, no, I'll show you, no, I'll do this. Don't take control. When that kid or those kids say, I'm ready to do this on my own, I'm ready to be like mom and take all of this pride in what I've learned and show that I'm independent as a, as a maturing person, that's their lesson to learn about how to become themselves, how to grow into themselves because of what you've taught them, because of what the two of you at home have facilitated. If you get in the middle of that, you're also missing your lesson. You're interfering with your kids, but you're also missing your lesson that you teach and then you let them do, Yeah, right? You don't continue to teach and tell them to forever watch. That's right. That's a good mentor. Kala sounds like an excellent CEO. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. She's got CEO energy. You got it. <laughs> and and I, I'm trying to word it that way because a lot of times we think the CEO is just the person of a company, right? And I'm trying to use that analogy to show that leadership is leadership wherever you are and in whatever you're doing. Okay, so plug to one of our older shows called CEO of the Family. Oh. Um, this was a okay. uh, adult male, I believe, with developmental disabilities, who was the CEO of his family. He had these leadership skills, and it's an excellent story if anyone's interested. You'll have to dig through the archives, but I'll try and tag it in the show. Okay. Um, So back to dying on the table, as it were, right? So now I'm back in this gentleman's body, and he is realizing... Uh, The distended belly started happening in the fields. It's been happening for a long time. He's reflecting on when should I have caught this? What were the symptoms of it? What did I miss? What did I dismiss? And he originally thought it was digestion. He originally thought, oh, I work on a farm. It's food. I will switch up the food that I'm eating. Now, remember, this isn't a time before elimination diets, Mm. before all this nutritional information that is still conflicting, but they had less knowledge back then. Mm -hmm. And so less information, I should say. So he thinks, I'll eliminate potatoes. Then I'll eliminate this. And then I'll, I'll try different things to see if the digestion gets things going. And he might have a little bit of pain relief, but it never actually fixes the problem. Mm-hmm. But he's realizing now, as the doctors and the medical professionals are, are swirling around him, let's say, it's not digestion. It's another issue. And they don't show me what it is, but he gets that relief of knowing it wasn't my fault it wasn't my fault. It was more systemic than it was environmental. Oh, right. And so he learns, I didn't fail myself. Yeah. And that's big. Oh, yeah. Because if you fail yourself, say nutritionally because you're not eating well, and then you're on your deathbed or table, then you might go into feeling like, geez, not only did I fail myself because I didn't change my diet, I'm failing the people around me who rely on me and who love me. Mm-hmm. who count on me, who want to be with me, who wanted one more hour. Yeah. And so one of the things that he was talking about is that there's relief, but there's sadness for the amount of time he spent beating himself up oh. for not figuring it out. Right. He felt like he wasn't smart enough. And remember, we all have like maybe one to three professions, one to three things that we are great at. Like this wasn't his job to know. And he really, really regrets the time he spent beating himself up. Mm. And so one of the quick parallels that he draws is that 
She needs to not spend so much time beating herself up. And it's a general message. She didn't pull out one specific thing, but Kala looked at me and went, "Mm, thank you. Oh, good. And we take our cue from the spirit world. And I went, okay, cool. If you know what that is, I will leave that be. Because it was such a just a pointed way that he said it. Like I said, even though there wasn't an example, that she got it right in the moment. And that's all that was needed to be said. I think it's good that you're pointing that out, Kelly, that you and I take our cues when we're doing past lives, not just from the spirit world who is giving us all of this information through all of the senses that we use, but we also take our cues from our clients who are going to sit there and say, that, I, that makes sense to me, or and move on, yep. or that doesn't, could you give me examples, or that does, but I don't totally get what they're trying to tell me about it, could you ask them to explain more? Mm-hmm. And so that's why there's such a need for you and I to stay equally as engaged with our human beings as we are completely engaged with the spirit world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So back to dying on the table. (laughs) Um, This one I'm going to pick up my notes for because I have some bullet points that I need to read out and they're just so freaking heartwarming. I didn't want to screw this up. Yeah. So he brings me back to the birth of his children. So we're going further back into this lifetime now. We've already talked about them as adult children, knowing that their father is passing. Now we're going right back to each of their births and comparing them, which I thought was really cool because... People don't want to be compared to, right? In this case, it's a beautiful thing. So he shows me the birth of each of the four children in that lifetime. And he says they were uncomplicated, which is not typical in a, in a medical kind of time that, that they were yeah. in. And so he goes, this was unreal. I had four uncomplicated births with my wife and, and children. And he goes, every single time she gave birth, I stood near her head. I knew what my role was, and it was to simply support her. It was not to make it about me. It was to let it be fully about her so that she could focus and get the actual um, medical support that she needed. And I stood there for emotional support. I held the energy. Well done. Yes. And I love, like, again, we have this acceptance of his life, this acceptance of his role and the value of it. Anyway, I love him. I love her. This is just so much fun. So here we go. He says, there was joy and excitement and pride to hold my wife up emotionally. Mm. So he didn't just accept it, because I know I'm going to kind of amp it up here. Joy, excitement, and pride. To hold my wife emotionally. To hold her up so she could do this fucking incredible thing. Right. Right? And so birth number one. This feels like our holy fuck moment. We're in it together. So there's this intimacy with his wife of neither of us have done it. We're in it together. Birth number two, this felt like we got this. We're a team. We've done this. We know how. So there's this there's this energy yeah. of calmness. He's more sure. Yes, exactly. They're sure of the team rather than the we'll see how this goes team. Right. Number three, he says, this felt more like a gift to our other children. It was intimate between my wife and I because we felt we were giving this third child to our children. Aww, I just thought that beautiful. was beautiful. And then the fourth one, he says, this felt complete. We did not feel like our family. We had an intuitive knowing that our family was not complete until we had the fourth. This felt final and like the bow on our family. And this actually was something where they knew it was going to be their last. And so they decided that they were going to savor all of it. Yeah. That they were wrapping the bow. They weren't going to rush it. This was just going to be, we're not doing this again. Let's be here. And I thought, wow, what a way to come into the world. No kidding. I want to talk about in that lifetime, the afterbirth. Oh, go. Where he goes, I stayed present. It all happened in the same spot in our own home. And they had, I'll say what's similar to like what we would call our French doors, right? In in this lifetime or this era, they look like French doors. They're not as clean or as as glossy, Um, but they go right back out onto the field that they own. And so they set up, they've got their doulas and their their doctors. And um, it's just this really intimate moment each time in their own family home. So he says, I stayed very present and close to my wife. And so he sits up right behind her head because she's, she's lying back and resting as it should be. And he goes, I stayed on the periphery. 
I had my moment with my wife in the whole event of birth, and I wanted to be there to hold her up, like he said, but I stayed on the periphery so that she could have those tender, intimate moments with what she did with her children. She did it. She did the hard work. And so there's an honoring of her role. There's an honoring of the efforts that she made. And again, he doesn't insert himself into these precious moments. He doesn't make it about him. He lets her have her time Mm -hmm. before she and the rest of the family go back to the busyness and chaos of life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because those moments are precious few. So to be sinking deeply into them is going to give you the foundation that they are looking for in their emotional relationship to go forward together. Yes. And so again, he says, my energy was present, but not invasive. Yeah. It, it was foundational, right? In just holding space, but yeah. I didn't insert myself. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't miss an opportunity, this man. He no. is smart. Now let's draw the parallel. Kala does this with her current partner oh, and their children. Nice. So, I mean, parents know about trading off, right? Yeah. And, and having one-on-one time and how important that is. So when her partner says, come on, come do this thing with us, she will say, no, it's your time with them. Mm-hmm. Thank you for the invite. But no, this is your relationship. And she really works consciously hard to respect the developing dynamics. That yes, there is a dynamic of her partner, her, and the children when they're all together. Yeah. But that there are individual dynamics just between her and her partner, just between her kids and them, mm-hmm. right? Like she doesn't interrupt or insert herself to take away from the opportunity of one-on-one experiences. Right. What's interesting though is that her current partner doesn't see it the same way. When she says, Kala, come join, Kala, come be a part of this, really what's going on the majority of the time, not always, is I need a break. I need a break to recharge, so please come insert yourself or take half the load, essentially, the energetic load. And she didn't understand in the beginning why Kala would say, no, no, this is your time. Right? She she yeah. was very confused by that. And so what came through was Kala's spirit guides and this version of herself from the previous lifetime, where they said, This is not your lesson to teach your partner. This is your kid's job to teach her. And it may not come until they are teens when they can articulate what they need mm-hmm. and that importance of the one-on-one time without mom, mm-hmm. right? But if you try and insert and say to her, do you understand why? Do you see why I'm doing this? You're going to take away the lesson that has to occur between your mm-hmm. partner and the children. Now, you can give an explanation. You can be very honest and upfront about, no, thank you. This is your one-on-one time. No, thank you. I don't want to insert myself. This is for you two to enjoy. An explanation is fine, but to bring her to a place of understanding is the contract lesson between her partner and the children. Good. And that's that's what she said. She goes, got (laughs) it. And so it was just this thing of like, okay, that's one thing. You know, when you say pick your battles, this was one thing where I think she could actually go, I'm going to cross that off for good. That is not my responsibility. Well, that's a huge thing to book an appointment for and walk out and go, I learned that today. Mm-hmm. That's worth it. Yes. So back to dying on the table. So this is where I'm really like catapulted right back into the body of this man, right? So there's a physicality uh, experience going on and I feel really in my shoulders. If you can think mm. about like where you are consciously sitting in your body, drawing your attention to, you know, in the beginning, we're talking about being in his belly, discovering things. Now I feel really not stuck, but very present in his shoulders and chest area. And I can really feel that this is where his strength comes from. Being out in those fields, working so much with his hands, being hands-on all day long, this is where he feels most powerful, most useful, strongest in who he is in his identity. Oh, I think that's so cool that you can feel it um, for him in a, or for Kala in a past lifetime, be able to feel all of that and express it so articulately. 
Thank you. And and so he says, like, the original panic existed in his belly. When he's on the table at first, like I mentioned, there's fear. I'm mm-hmm. sitting in the belly and I'm aware of what's going on and not being able to go on there. And all of a sudden, this energy shifts up to the shoulders. My posture is good. My muscles are good. All of the things up here are still strong. They still mm-hmm. feel like me. And so as I shift into the part of who I feel most like I am, there comes acceptance again. And so I don't feel rattled by what's going on in the operating room. I feel like I'm okay. That's really cool, Kelly, if we think, or or if we ask listeners right now to, are they able to identify that part in their own body? Mm, I like that question. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. So he actually wrote here, I can accept death with strength. This is where he has what some would call their inner knowing, which they Mm -hmm. might associate with the gut, but let's remember his is wide open. He has this gut feeling in the deepest part of who he is that I can be okay with this. Mm -hmm. Now I feel settled. I feel settled in my body, even though I can hear the monitors that are doing something completely contradictory to what my brain and my, my essence feels. There's this peacefulness, and as I mentioned in the beginning, I can let the professionals rush without it altering my mindset. I can let them panic and learn and get um, short with each other for the sake of um, urgency and not feel insecure in my own self, which I thought was really neat. Um, And then along the lines of this inner knowing, there's just this like fleeting thought that comes in of the next step will be presented to me. I don't need to know how to do the next step. Someone will walk in and show me how. Or when I get there, I'll just know. (laughs) And I thought, as Kelly, you know, I'm channeling this and I'm like, whoa. (laughs) Like this is a how guy, right? In that lifetime, he, Mm -hmm. he was so curious about how to answer everything and then help others also be able to answer that. And then there was just this moment of, yeah, it'll come. Mm -hmm. I'll learn it. And Mm -hmm. when I learn it, I'll do it. I love that. And I love how you're saying that that comes from him living it each day, that Mm -hmm. it becomes who he is. But there's also a choice that he makes to live that way and to be that kind of thinker. Yes. And that was one of the things he said to Kala is that I recognized in that moment that even though I'm a very action-oriented person, I knew there was no action for me to take. Right. So he can step back and not be over-responsible. Perfect. And so I'm just going to gently remind listeners, as well as this was when he gently reminded Kala, that at home, as this is happening, because right now he's being walked to the next step, his adult children at home are struck by the news. They do experience grief, but they don't get stuck. And I thought this Mm -hmm. was one of the biggest, most beautiful lessons of this session, is that we can miss people. But when a life is lived fully with each other, present with each other, we don't have as many opportunities to get stuck in the grief because we're not fighting against what did or didn't happen in life. Mm -hmm. And I just thought this was a beautiful freedom for his children, even though they lost the most important, best person alive. Mm -hmm. But they can experience grief with a feeling of safety and security as well mm-hmm. because of how he lived in alignment and in integrity. Mm-hmm. What a gift yes. to give his children and his partner by each decision on how he chose to think and behave coherently and uh, cohesively. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then we come into another parallel. And this is where things get a little bit tough for Kala, right? Where we're looking at her life where it's not quite the same as what he's displayed before. So they they almost like superimpose her life on top of his, right? His is the previous one, so it lies underneath. We lay hers down on top to see where did she deviate? Where did things get different or look different? Where did she choose different, mm-hmm. right? And that's not a good or a bad thing. It just is, and they're going to point it out. And mm-hmm. I think that's really beautiful for people to understand. We're just going to observe it and point it out, and then you get to do what you want with your messages. Mm-hmm. It's neutral. It, it You're not coming, like especially in the place where you're doing the channeling, you're not coming with your judgments about it. 
if I know you and I do know how you do this, um, you sit there out of curiosity so that you can keep giving the client the most amount of information you can so that while you try and present every single little morsel using every sense you've got so that they have a great big basket of things to look at and pick and choose and go, okay, what do I do with this? That's their job. That's the client's job. So I know where you're sitting exactly in here, Kelly. Cool. Thank you. So one of the first things he says is, okay, if we're comparing the lifetimes in this superimposed map, Mm -hmm. this lifetime as Kala was not about breaking patterns. This lifetime was actually a continuation of the most beautiful parts of who we are. We. Right? Right. He is speaking directly to her and saying, this was... I got chills when you said that. I love that. This was supposed to be the most beautiful continuation of of our parts. And this was something for you to be able to enjoy. So I won't recap for listeners. You've already heard where all of the parallels were in how she was doing the same things, right? Yes. Here's where it deviates, is the conversations with the partner. So in that previous lifetime as the gentleman... He sits down and he has unrushed conversations with his wife to say, I overheard that the neighbors need this. This is what I'm thinking of doing on the weekend. This is what I'll be providing them. Would that be okay with you? She checks in, gives her yes or her no. Let's assume it's a yes. At that point, he says, okay, so while I'm gone, what do you need? Mm-hmm. And there's, this is the really cool thing. This is one of the only areas in his life where he is future focused for a really great purpose. Yeah. Everything else is so present. But with his wife, in order to facilitate being present, they have to be future focused together to anticipate needs. Yeah. So they talk about on Saturday, next Saturday, this is what is needed. Um, what do you need in order for me to facilitate this? And when all of the future-related things are sorted out, mm-hmm. he goes, okay, now how was your day? Oh, beautiful. Or how is your day going? And he gets back into the present moment with her and for her like he does for everyone else. Right. So it's like he sees that the marriage has to be transactional because there are these other individuals we call children who have needs and the house has needs. And we do too, because we need to come at the end of the day and eat a dinner and have a clean house or whatever it is, bath kids, whatever. So he's transactional in that regard. And then you're saying after he addresses that together as a team, where he sees them both as a team in this, then you're saying he looks at her as uh, his partner and says, you're my person and I'm your person on a different level because we are married Yes. And so the couple comes first. And right. there'll be different schools of thought where, you know, they'll say that's not how it should be. People should come first, you're a couple second. I'm not here to argue that. I'm saying yeah. what happened in, in this session. And so they deal with let's anticipate together as a team. Then let's sit down and honor each other as individuals and catch up and delight in each other, which mm-hmm. I just think is beautiful. Okay, so what I wanted to say just to finish that part is that in that lifetime with his wife, they have a 360 view. Yeah, right. it's a good way to word it. Yes. And so this 360 view is very important. It's how they can stay functioning and in love, right? He notes that in that lifetime, him and his wife are like young sweethearts. They spend the majority of their life as a couple together, experiencing and doing life together. And so there's this really... Um, I, I don't know how, how you would even refer to it. Because they've done so much of life together, their baggage is each other's baggage, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. They've gone through the same experiences and had the same traumas and the same da-da-da-da-da, mm. right? In this lifetime, he says, they're not high school sweethearts. They're not, they didn't meet in kindergarten. Mm. They, didn't, right. they didn't do their whole lives together. And this isn't a criticism. He's just saying so much of their life up until this point was without each other. before they came to know each other. And so there's a lot more trauma that the other one wasn't around for. And so there's a lot to uncover, dig up, and deal with that the other one doesn't necessarily understand because they weren't there. No one's fault. But what's happening in this lifetime is that Kala wants to approach these conversations with her wife 
the same way. She's carrying on the best parts of herself from this lifetime. She comes up to her partner already with anticipating what someone needs and how she wants to be of service and says, okay, hun, this and this and this is the information that I think you need. But in this lifetime, her partner doesn't have the 360 view. She doesn't have, it's not the same partner, by the way. Maybe Mm -hmm. I should have mentioned that. This isn't a sole contract where the same partners are coming through. Oh, that's good. Yes. And so while Kala is still being her through lifetime to lifetime, this partner doesn't have 360. And because of her own human history, meaning this lifetime history, she can't process more than two pieces of information at a time. And it's not because she's stubborn and it's not because she's mean and it's not because she doesn't want to. Mm. It's because there's a block there. There's anxiety there. And so Kala comes in with her excitement, which looks a lot like anxiety, right? To other people who have (laughs) anxiety. So she comes in to say, this person needs at this time on this date. And that's actually kind of two to four pieces of information, right? If we're really thinking about it. And and Kala's partner has already started to be like, oh my God, what do I do with this? And there's a stoppage of listening. Oh, interesting. So whether or not she realizes that she stopped listening, she starts to feel angry. And she because she's not hearing all of what Cal is trying to communicate, she assumes she must be telling me this information because she needs something from me. So now she's anticipating, well, what's expected of me? Well, what do I need to do now? And why did she volunteer us for this thing? And so Kala, again, after everything that people have heard, is coming through to say, here's what I'd like to do. Here's the plan. And her partner has shut down and is already thinking, you volunteered us, right? Right. And because of that, she is really upset and thinks like, why would you do something like this? So when Kala communicates, well, no, hon, I don't need you to be there. I'm telling you the plan. Kala's partner gets upset like, well, why are you even communicating this information to me in the first place if you don't need me there? So she sees it as unnecessary information. So she's built up all of this anxiety in the process of this conversation. And here's the deal. They've been together for many years, not a lifetime, of course, but many years. And what Kala's partner has, I'll say failed to realize, and I don't mean that she is a failure, just failed to observe, is that Kala has a pattern in the way that she communicates. Very similar to this gentleman where she says, here's the problem. Here's how I'd like to go about solving it. And if you sit tight for two seconds, that third piece that's coming at you is, I'm going to check in and ask you what you need. Because her partner stops listening and doesn't realize that there's a pattern, she doesn't think that Kala has considered her at all. And now she's mad. And you're saying that if she had listened just a little bit longer to really truly hear what was being communicated, she would know that by the third piece of information, Kala's next question is going to be, and so, hun, what do you need? And does this work for you? So her partner, her, her, her partner doesn't learn. She stays stuck in her pattern. Mm-hmm. Even though there is evidence to the opposite. Great, great lesson right there in this show mm-hmm. for everybody else to listen to and say, oh shit, oh shit, is that me? Am I the one that is analytical and is going, am I her, my Kella, or am I her partner that doesn't listen, goes into my own head and sees things through my own lens? My partner has this, this full cycle that I totally ignore, could be healthy, and I go into my own shit show? Yeah, that's a great question for listeners to consider for themselves. Um, So what comes through, what this gentleman is trying to teach Kala, or themselves, let's Mm -hmm. say, is that Kala's approaching the conversations expecting the same level of emotional intelligence, expecting the same kind of response, Rather than considering she might need to switch up her style of communication too, because it can't just be on one person. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And so he says, you know, ultimately in this lifetime, you can stay in the marriage because she ends up supporting you. Mm-hmm. She ends up, as we mentioned in the beginning, wanting that community, valuing your trade and your skills, valuing what it do- does and gives to to the kids and your family as a whole, and the identity of who you guys are in the community of helping and depending on one another. Mm-hmm. All of that makes the marriage possible to continue. But... She's at a point where these conversations are so stressful. Mm. The thought of having them is so stressful because of the anxiety she anticipates from her partner, the anxiety it now brings up in herself, that that conversation is what makes her question, can I stay? Can I do this for 40 more years? So I want to bring people back to a point at which they said in that previous lifetime, that wife was key. That wife was the reason he could be all of who he was Mm -hmm. because of how she held down the fort, because of how she chose to communicate. And so because Kala is going, oh my God, where is this partner in crime who is allowing (laughs) me to be all of who I am? I don't want to have to insert this anxiety-ridden process to ultimately be who I am. This causes a lot of doubt and a lot of fear. And so he said, you need to be careful. You need to be mindful because if what you are doing is getting into this, I don't want to have this kind of a conversation, you're going to fall into, I'll do everything on my own. I'll just do it by myself. I'll just figure it out and solve her problem without even asking her what the problem is. You're going to end up excluding her from the conversation altogether instead of figuring out how to have a different conversation and achieve the same goal. And that is ultimately going to kill your soul because what will happen is you will have kept the connections in the community potentially or not at all isolated yourself into your family because now I can't have the conversation with my partner. I won't go do the things. I'll be here and present for my wife and my kids. But the piece that kills your soul is that who you are is every aspect. Yeah. And so he says, you're going to end up with depression either way. If you don't figure out how to have a different conversation, whether you isolate into the community from your family or you isolate from the community into your family, depression will be the result because you need connections from both. So what are you going to do about that? Yeah, well, it sounds like it's going to be depression for both of them. Yes. Not just one of them. Yes, because now her partner gets the person she didn't marry. Right. And then if you have depression for both of you in that situation and you go off and you choose the family, so she tries to make the right decision, I'm going to put my family first, but I'm going to sink into that depression and so is my partner because we don't communicate clearly about any of this, then you still have the demise of a marriage. Yeah, you still may. Absolutely. And then you can start focusing on let's make the house look perfect. Let's make the kids happy and busy. You got it. So then he says to her, okay, I've explained where your biggest joys come from. And I've also explained the rock on your chest. Oh, right. And he ultimately got to have that feeling of relief in the chest Mm -hmm. as he's dying. Mm -hmm. And he's trying to say, I know what the rock on yours is. Oh, God, that is so good. That's brilliant. Thank you. And and yes, the guides are. I, I don't want to leave it on too, like, too much of a negative note, of course. Um, but he says to her, like, this is stopping you from living fully. Mm-hmm. That rock on your chest is you not being fully you. And the thing is, is that your partner has been given tools. Your partner has been offered the opportunity to learn something different, as have you. But unless you are both willing to commit to the implementation of something different, Mm -hmm. you can't move forward being you. Right. And then he says to me, and now we're dead. Oh. And I hear all of the monitors go blank. And not that it's a disconnect. This is the really cool thing. He doesn't disconnect from her or the session. But you see his life in that lifetime comes to an end. Yeah. Just as he is telling her what her potential form of death will be here. Yeah. Yeah. But not before having asked her, what are you, what do you plan to do about it? Right. So there's an aspect of her from another lifetime 
holding her accountable to her truest life mm-hmm. in each lifetime. Yes. And that is why I loved, and I think we both loved, Kala expressed this too, loved being dragged back to the point at which we would say in the session, okay, so back to dying on the table. Yeah. Because there was another opportunity to see what fully alive meant. Yeah. And then to understand how that keeps you going, how that keeps you connected, and how when it comes to a final, quote unquote, version of death, you can really be okay with it. Yeah. Yeah, you're not thinking, I need another day, I need another hour, I need one one more year, I need one more decade. Nor do your people. Right. Because they had you fully. Exactly. What a beautiful message. And by the way, Kelly... Very well told. Thank you. I know it was a little bit longer. You've been doing a great job keeping them shorter lately. Um, But thank you for letting me have the mic today. Absolutely. You can have the mic whenever the fuck you want it. (laughs) Okay. So I will say to everyone, happy Saturday. Thanks for listening to Coffee with the Sarlos. If you enjoyed the show today, help spread the love with a like, share, or review of the podcast. See you next Saturday with a brand new episode. 